Oh, now we're live. Welcome everyone to the reboot of the Greater Purpose Health and Fitness podcast, previously known as Coffee and the Six Fs. Our first guest is going to be Lucas Hudek. I said that right, right? Yep. Nailed it. Lucas was saying that there's about eight different ways you can pronounce his last name. Um, mine's Chenard, so mine's about the same. Lucas has been a member of Greater Purpose Health and Fitness, also known as CrossFit Cameras, which is our CrossFit affiliate for, well, when did you start, Lucas? Um, yeah, it was in 2017, uh, kind of late summer. So I think I started Fundamentals uh, July, end of July, and then like hit classes kind of mid-August. Fundamentals, and that's, that's our gym's way of on-ramping people into our group class setting. Do you remember how many people were in your group just just me just you oh one-on-one one-on-one yeah no there was uh um i think just after that is when you converted to the the group format for fundamentals i might have been one of the last ones that came in um one-on-one but it was jaleesa who who did it uh for me jaleesa jaleesa who is my wife taking it home um then we went back to group then back to individual fundamentals again so all around the world. Full circle and halfway around again. Exactly. It's science. Lucas has a pretty amazing story that we're going to get right into today. Um, it has, well, I'm, I'm not going to talk much about it because I told you before we started about this, I was like, I'm going to let you talk more than me. So if you want to just kind of start us off on your story, Lucas, go for it. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so yeah, this is a, a story that, um, I guess, uh, started and I'll, I'll kind of do it like a, a timeline in terms of, um, uh, what happened when I was growing up. So it all kind of happened when I was in grade nine was when the start of this story happened. Um, I'll kind of go through, um, those few years uh, around what happened then. Um, and then things kind of just, I went to university and hit the kind of regular part of my life where. You know, things were moving along. I was figuring out what I'm doing in in the world and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, yeah, in about uh, late 2016, um, it was kind of a a moment, and you something we'll get into. Um, but that um, kind of changed things uh, with how um, I understood myself and just how I felt about myself. And so that then took me into kind of a um, rediscovery. And so it, um, yeah, it was a story that um, had kind of a gap really of what, when a lot of things didn't happen or, I mean, things were happening, just not kind of very um, talked about or um, not something that I was paying close attention to. Um, and then, yeah, so for about a year, things were really uh, rocky. And, um, and then that kind of led into uh, me being a member at Creative Purpose and um, kind of where we are today. So. Uh, kind of just take you through that whole timeline um, of what happened when I had my my breakdown and kind of what's taken place since then. That sounds great. Yeah. So the idea of this podcast is not to only share knowledge and tips about health and fitness, but also stories because we think we know stories are impactful. By us sharing our stories, we actually are helping others. So. Hopefully, that's what Lucas's story can do for others as well. 
Definitely. Um, so I called this um, story and I, I initially did this um, as a member of the uh, Human Library at Augustana, which is a, a great thing that the, the Augustana Library puts on um, where people, you know, share their story, talk about human connection um, and really just um, benefiting uh, more from um, listening to someone rather than, you know, reading a book or, um, you know, maybe talking to somebody that you don't know as well. This is another another avenue. So I titled it Like Father, Like Son, uh, Learning to Be Myself. Um, so yeah, things really um, start out back when I was a grade nine student, so 14 years old. Um, and my parents um, were having a rocky kind of relationship. They, um, you know, I knew at that age, things weren't, weren't great. They were, they were struggling in their, in their marriage. Um, they were both still loving parents. There was never really any concern with um, how they treated my brother and I. So I have one younger brother, uh, Ty, um, and then just my mom and my dad. And so, um, yeah, we just knew things weren't, weren't really right. Um, my mom got really sick. And so this was right after uh, kind of the Christmas break of my grade nine year. Um, she ended up with uh, it was the Norwalk virus, which is a um, pretty pretty severe virus. Um, it wasn't until much later that I um, found out that she almost actually passed away um, in that ordeal. Um, we were basically um, at school one day and found out mom was in the hospital, um, found out my dad was um, uh, nowhere to be found, um, really. And um, yeah, it was kind of just kind of taken by storm. My grandparents from BC um, drove immediately to look after us. Turns out my dad was um, uh, in Mexico um, with somebody who wasn't my mom. And so, um, yeah, it was just kind of a, a time where a lot was happening, right? Um, learning that, um, that obviously had a huge impact on my mom. Um, she was not um, happy with how you know, she found out, you know, she was sick in the hospital, found out her husband was uh, cheating on her and not even in the country to, to help out the situation. So right. um, my mom was in the hospital for quite a while. I don't remember exactly how long, but I think it was like a month or so. So my grandparents lived with us for that long, um, looking after my brother and I, my dad, eventually he wasn't gone that whole time. He was only gone for about a month, uh, came back. Um, and so that, didn't sit well with me, obviously. Um, I was very um, against uh, what he had done. My family is uh, Catholic and uh, my mom uh, from BC, you know, moved to Alberta to come for school, um, got a teaching job in Jenner uh, community in Southern Alberta. And that's where she met my dad. Uh, they fell in love. Um, she became Catholic to get married in the Catholic church. Um, raised us um, kids as Catholics. Um, and in that grade nine year, I was actually going through uh, my confirmation. So one of the sacraments to um, kind of commit yourself to the Catholic church. Um, and so it's kind of a, a story that goes alongside this um, just because it really tested a lot of uh, me um, going through that process and also dealing with the, this home situation. And so, um, yeah, I really, was really mad at my dad. Um, very, very mad at him um, for uh, not only what he had done, but just um, what that caused uh, on all of us. Um, so at 14, I kind of, I had to grow up. I had to become the man of the house. Um, I was dealing with a mom 
who was was quite sick. Um, my brother, who was a little younger than me, obviously not um, needing to understand the situation as much as I was. And so was um, someone who had to, that I just had to make sure was was doing well. We lived in a community where my mom, being the outsider, was seen as an outsider. Um, we we kind of really struggled with with how we fit into that community for the those next six months. So from January uh, until July first, which is when we actually moved away, um, we were really um, just tested every every day. Every day was just a in kind of how I viewed it was a battle for survival. Um, some days that was literal survival in terms of our our well being. I was very scared of my mom and how. Um, she was, she had the potential to harm herself. And so I was worried about that. Um, just, you know, worried with, you know, in case other members of the community weren't, weren't happy with how things were, we, we didn't really have a lot of support we felt like. And so we kind of felt, felt quite isolated. Um, and, and, uh, um, there were times where I just, yeah, um, did a lot of just trying to oversee our, our family situation and make sure that we were, we were getting up each morning. We were going to school and going to work. We were um, staying safe, uh, coming home, um, coming from our farming community. We don't lock the doors, but one of the first things we did was put locks on our doors, and we kind of secretly packed up our house in uh, in those six months uh, mm -hmm. to move. Um, and we had a bunch of friends that came and and moved us away, which was um, just good for getting us getting us out of there. And yeah, so along that, I. Um, I got confirmed. Um, my confirmation um, was um, was an interesting kind of time, just trying to battle that um, understanding of, you know, the values of Catholicism versus the those same values that I didn't feel were being upheld within within our own family, um, and with how other community members were viewing us, and it really became a us versus them. It was my mom's fault why this all happened, um, not my dad's fault, and so. I really struggled with all that understanding um, throughout those those six months. So there's moments that will that are burned into my my memory and that I won't forget. And there's other parts of that six months that I I really have no idea what happened. Um, kind of just black spots almost where um, I just don't don't know all the details. But I know um, it was a very trying time um, and really did a lot for me in. Um, causing me to grow up. I feel like I grew up a lot faster than I should have had to. Um, and really a lot of it started in, in those six months. Um, so yeah, then we moved to, to Redcliffe, which is a community about um, 45 minutes away. And that's where my mom, my brother and I kind of set up our, our second home. Um, my dad still lived on the farm with all his family. My mom still worked out in that community um, in Jenner. She was still teaching out there. Um, but through my high school, I kind of um, really just wanted to push a lot of that part of my life away. Um, I was, I didn't talk to my dad um, much at all. Um, we would meet him at Tim Hortons um, every couple months for half an hour to have coffee with him and, and chat. Um, and that was something that that's just all I could give really at that time. And that's all I could um, uh that's all I wanted to see out of my dad. Um, and I know it was uh, very hard on him, um, but I just, that was all I could do. And that's all I could, could give um, 
his way. I really resented his actions. Um, my dad, my dad drank a fair bit, so I didn't, uh, didn't like that. Um, I would see just how angry he would get about certain situations. And then obviously I was very upset with how much or not how much with the fact that he cheated on my mom. Um, and then, so that was kind of grade 10 and 11 and then into grade 12 is when things started to turn, um, with, uh, my dad and myself, uh, in our relationship. Uh, we actually spent my brother and I a weekend out at the farm with him, um, which was pretty big from going from, you know, 30 minute coffee sessions in a public place to a weekend, uh, alone with him. Um, and it wasn't that I was ever scared of being, um, hurt or harmed in any way. Um, there was never anything like that. It was just not wanting to ever spend that much time with him. So doing those that, that weekend was, um, was important and it kind of really just kind of kickstarted, uh, what was next for us. And so, um, uh, a month or so later we had, uh, a day, um, September long weekend was always growing up a, a family weekend where we just kind of, you know, changing from summer to, um, going into school season and hockey and sports. It was our, our weekend just to do something fun. We'd go to Callaway Park in Calgary or we would um, just do something as a family that was kind of our, you know, kickstart off the the new the new year, right? And so this September along was um, my dad came in to Redcliffe where Ty and I were living. We went golfing at the local golf course. We had a great day golfing, um, kind of, you know, like like old times. And then we got home and dad was set to drop us off and mom invited him in for dinner. Um, and my mom made a roast beef dinner, roast beef, potatoes, you know, Yorkshire puddings, all those uh, great things, which was one of our like staple family meals growing up, right? Like that was a, you know, a big Sunday meal, a nice big roast beef dinner. And so she did that. We had a roast beef dinner. My dad stayed. We watched a movie. Couldn't even tell you what movie it was. Um, cause all I remember sitting there was like, this is the weirdest day of my life. <laughs> my family is, uh, together again. We're doing family things. We're, um, just, you know, living a day together. Right. And then that was, um, um, pretty cool and pretty unique. Um, little did I know it was, um, a day that was meant to be, um, cause four days later, um, uh, my dad was in a car accident um, so my mom, um, or I was, I was at home. It was a Thursday night. I was downstairs in my room doing some homework and I heard like a blood curdling scream from my mom upstairs. And one of those screams where, you know, that like something bad just happened. Right. Um, I heard her scream when like the flames got scored on, but I knew this was way worse than that. And so it wasn't, uh, uh it wasn't a sports <laughs> change, but something bad. So, um, yeah, we, I just heard her kept saying, um, my dad's name, Kim. Um, cause my uncle had called her and told her that my dad was in a severe car accident and he was, um, airlifted via stars to foothills hospital in Calgary. So we, um, drove to see my, um, dad's parents and aunt and a bunch of us got in a vehicle and we drove all the way up to Calgary sat in the waiting room for um, what seemed like hours um, for us to um, see my dad. Um, and they finally let us in. And as soon as I looked at him, I knew that, um, that things weren't good. Um, my dad was um, in a coma. Um, he had 
no broken bones. He had no um, like minor internal bleeding, minor kind of uh, bumps and bruises, but um, he was thrown from his, his truck and he hit his, um, landed on his head. And so he had um, a significant amount of um, um, damage to his brain. Um, and so, yeah, I took one look at him and I, I knew that my dad was never, never waking up. Um, and for two months, my dad remained in a coma and we, um, spent that time with him. We, um, for me, it was a chance to just say goodbye. Um, and just kind of, uh, for me, a lot of it was just to say, um, that I was sorry. That um, night with you all together must have been pretty meaningful then when you look back on it. Yeah, um, and we'll get to that a little bit more here in a second. But yeah, that was a um, very impactful day um, for me um, to have that. Um, we actually kind of called it our last supper as a family, um, you know, in multiple meetings. And so... Um, yeah, it was just, it was hard for me to see that and also see the family who was um, convinced that my dad was going to wake up. Um, you know, as much as I hoped for that too, I just, I knew it wasn't a reality. And if it was, if he did ever wake up, like he, he was never going to be my dad in the same way that I knew him, right? He, um, if anything, he would, would have been uh, in a different state, right? For sure. So so yeah, for two months, we traveled back and forth for the first month to Calgary. Yeah, he was in um, uh, at Foothills Hospital. So we, uh, every weekend we drove up to Calgary, stayed for the weekend. We'd come back, we'd do Monday, Tuesday at school. Tuesday night, we'd drive back to Calgary, skip out on Wednesday school, um, drive home uh, Wednesday night, do Thursday, Friday school. And that was just our, our life for, for those um couple months and uh, um, then eventually my dad got brought back to Medicine Hat which was really great because then we could easily just see him on a daily basis or every other day right we didn't have to go and uh, live in a hotel as much as we were um, and then so this was all like the accident was early September September 13th and then um, uh, in early November we got a call that um, uh, my dad was getting transported back to Calgary from from Medicine Hat. So we drove up there um, and on the evening of November 6th uh, the doctor got us all together. We thought we were making different plans of you know where to put dad all that kind of stuff and he um, he basically just told us that dad was never going to wake up and that you know after those two months like there was no change in in his brain activity and you know he was just he was going to live out the rest of his life um, in the coma. Um, they weren't, wasn't a force or induced coma. It was just, um, that's how dad was. So we went back to the hotel. We started making kind of plans of what to do, transported back to Medicine Hat so that we could be, he could be close. We go back to the hospital the next day and the doctor calls us back into the, the room. Um, 
and then told us that um, my dad wouldn't survive the day. And so we called all the family and had everybody come visit, but um, um, I was fortunate to be with dad for the for his last, last breath. And so, yeah, I just kind of the, the few minutes before I just said goodbye again and how sorry I was for for the way that I had um, kind of disowned him there for a couple of years and uh, that I was, you know, just sorry that that was kind of the path that our lives went. And then, <clears throat> sorry, after the, after he passed, life was kind of seemingly normal um, in many instances because my dad wasn't a huge part of my life, right? So we um, went about our regular routines, going to school, doing our sports, and it, you know, it didn't ever really hit me, I think, right away that dad was gone. And it wasn't until my birthday when I didn't get a phone call first thing in the morning from him. Um, Christmas, you know, those types of things where um, it really hit home that that my dad was gone. Uh, my grade 12 graduation, going off to university, all those types of things. Those were, those were really the moments that I really um, noticed it. And not to say you don't think about it or notice it other times, but those were just where it really sunk in and really hit home and really um, caused me to be a, a lot more emotional about it. Sure. And then, yeah, so I went to university. I was very driven to um, succeed in school. Um, I kind of waffled after dad passed whether I should just take over the farm or whether or not I should um, um, pursue ahead with going to university, which was something that I always just viewed myself doing. Family was very supportive and really helped push me to do that, um, to not give up on that dream and that if the farm was something I wanted to do eventually, it was still going to be there and we could, we could figure it out then. Right. And so, um, that was pretty, um, beneficial. I think all those moments of, of me, um, having to kind of grow up all those, um, adjustments when mom was sick and dad, um, had, um, just got back from, from Mexico, all those skills really helped me really push forward with that kind of determined and dedicated, uh, attitude towards um, those next steps in life. And I, I am always going to be very thankful for that. I will, um, as much as I didn't like the situation that led to me being um, that driven and dedicated, I, I will forever be grateful that that's a part of who I am because that, that taught me a lot and really gave me the, the confidence to, to just tackle whatever I wanted to. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had a, had a very strong sense of the direction that I wanted in my life, but I had a very clouded awareness of who I was and who and what I wanted myself as a person um, to be and how to conduct myself. And I really was, well, I was thinking I was somebody that I wasn't. And so that was kind of the first um, kind of moments where I started to see, um, I guess, some, um, 
some flags, but I still managed to ignore them pretty well and hide them and stuff them back down uh, and move along. Um, and so that first summer after university, I got a job at the golf course in Redcliffe where I grew up, or not where I grew up, but where we moved to. And um, it was kind of towards the end of the summer and um, just had nothing to do one, one afternoon and uh, asked the boss what he wanted me to do. And he's like, go weed whip that fence. And I was like, oh, fine. I hate weed whipping. It's the least, least favorite job on the golf course. Um, but yeah, I was whipping this, this fence that hadn't been weed whipped in who knows how long because it was uh, quite, uh, quite uh, full of uh, pretty tall grass just laying against it. So I'm weed whipping away. And keep in mind, this is uh, this would have been a year and a half, almost two years after that day we went golfing. And uh, so we're weed whipping away, look down and see a golf ball golf course, you're going to find a lot of golf balls. Um, so what I do is look, see if they're any good. If they are good, they go in my pocket. And if they're junk, they go in the uh, bin at the shop and we hit them into the coolie after work. So look down this golf ball. It's a Ram golf ball, cheap, crappy golf ball. Um, but my dad always played Ram, turned it over. Um, sure enough, KH initials on the golf ball. Um, so my dad wrote his initials on everything, either his initials or his brand K9 or KH was written on everything. So, um, I a hundred percent know that that golf ball was hit by my dad on that day that we spent together. And so the fact that I have a, a, a memento from kind of that, that perfect day together, um, is something that I'll always cherish. It's, um, I should have brought it down for this, but it sits beside Just my bed. Yeah. 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 It's on a, little shot glass for my dad, um, right beside my bed, uh, just sits there. Um, just as my, I see it every day when I wake up, I see it every day when I go to bed. Um, just a nice little reminder, but, um, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. When you talk about, you know, why that day happened in the first place, you know, that's pretty, um, surreal to me, right? The fact that, um, that golf ball sat there for two years. Yeah. Nobody told some other kid to go yeah. weed with that fence. Nobody found that ball. Um, looking for another ball along that fence. Um, yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty cool. And so, um, something that I'll cherish, cherish forever. Um, and very, I am very, very grateful for that, that day with my dad. Um, along with the, the, the couple months that he was in the coma really for me to say goodbye um, I really don't know what would have happened if I didn't get those opportunities. Those were really big for me. Um, and just being able to, um, cause I did, I did feel very shitty with how I, um, treated my dad. Um, people have told me like, Oh, it was justified. Like, sure. But at the end of the day, my dad passed away and, you know, I would give a lot to, to go back in time to, to change that. Um, I would give a lot to have conversations with him now at this point in my life. And so the fact that I robbed us of, of a couple of years of father and son uh, relationship is, is always still hard. I would say at times, um, not as much maybe as it was back then, but um, I still go through moments where, um, you know, it sucks <laughs> and yeah. next year I get to get married and my dad's not going to be there. Right. So. Yeah. Um, as that, 
has that impacted how you see other conversations with people now too? Um, totally. Like disagreements or things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that's kind of where this, this story transitions is really from, you know, saying that I was very confident in myself and my direction and my drive, like that was all, all good, but I didn't give much attention to who I was. And when I say that, I'm really talking about how I dealt with things and how I dealt with people. And, um, yeah, I just really, I think missed out on a lot of that kind of self-awareness and just, um, didn't really give a lot of attention to, um, who I wanted to be as a person, I guess right. if that makes sense. Right. Like I was more materialistic than I was relational or, um, just the, the character that I wanted to have for myself. So right. yeah, I really got to a point where, um, I started to notice that I wasn't dealing with just life in general. Well, um, and it, a lot of it had to do with, with relationships, whether it was just how things went at work or, um, um, friendships. Um, there, you know, was a few times where I can now look back and see where I did push people out of my life just cause I felt it was just easier to do that than deal with me. Um, and I, um, yeah, just definitely really remembering a few of those, those moments. And, um, it actually wasn't until I did this, this told this story for the first time that that really hit me as, Oh, wow. Like those were moments where I did see signs, but I just walked right through them, <laughs> walked right by them and went on living my life. Right. Nice. And so, yeah, in 2016 is when things really started to, to unfold. And that's when I, um, yeah, I'd get really angry. Um, I was in a relationship that wasn't, um, I was bringing up a lot of issues just with me. Um, and it was things that I was noticing that were no longer like, oh, the first time I was in a relationship or it wasn't, um, you know, somebody else's fault. It was really on me and it was something that I needed to deal with. And so that was obviously a little concerning, <laughs> not something you really want to, um, realize, but, um, yeah. So there was a night in January of 2017 where it finally all broke and I was home alone. Um, I, um, have no idea why any of this happened, but I grabbed a bottle of scotch from the cupboard and a glass and I sat down and I drank it. And I um, don't know what I was trying to wash away or hide or what, but I just drank and I got very angry. Um, my basement in this duplex was unfinished. There's some drywall, but you know, not like fully painted walls or taped walls, but I walked downstairs and punched a bunch of holes in the wall. Uh, the smart thing apparently when you're drunk is that you know where the studs are so you don't manage to accidentally break your hand but uh, um, the small silver lining of that night I guess was the fact that I was aware enough to not do that but uh, yeah I made a mess in my basement um, and 
went to bed at, I don't know, whatever time, just pain washed over me and I just, I started crying. I had no idea what was wrong. I had no idea why I was acting like that. Um, and it was very scary, uh, but I called my brother um, and I said a few words to him that caused him to cry. And I couldn't tell you the last time I'd ever heard my, my brother cry. Um, but I had told him that I didn't want to live anymore. And that was something that um, I meant. Um, and we talked for a bit and I couldn't even tell you what we said. I just remember that part. Um, but uh, what I do know is that I woke up the next morning. I think I had just drank enough that I had managed to, to pass out and um, not oh, nice doorbell rings in the middle of a <laughs> podcast. Um, I'm not getting up. It was like an idea uh, that came up. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> an idea. Um, and so, um, yeah, I woke the next morning. I, um, I had said those words. I had meant them. Um, and I knew right then that I had stuff that I had to, to deal with. There were things that were um, unresolved from my, my past. Um, and I knew that it had to do with the, the relationship that I had with my dad and um, the things that happened kind of at that point in my life. Um, so it was kind of a weird feeling for me to like wake up realizing that too. Like I, I, I felt like, um, you know, most stories you hear people have to figure out what is wrong, but I just kind of knew, knew what it was and I knew what the issue was. Right. Um, and I just started talking, um, to people, um, and talking to my, my family and my close friends and really tried to get them to. Um, help me in any way and you know um, just try to make sense of it talk me into you know things were going to be okay all that kind of stuff um, but it was just kind of weird realizing that like I was I was almost ready to break and I was just waiting for it and this was just that night was what happened and so um, I was definitely scared I was not um you know, looking forward to what was coming next um, because I knew I had a lot of work to do um, to figure myself out. And I knew I needed to, to put in effort and um, that this was not something that was going to go away. It wasn't something that I could just hide, you know, for a couple of weeks and then wake up and be like, okay, yeah, we're good. Right. Cause if I didn't, you know, it was going to come up again um, at another point in my life and I didn't want it to be, you know, when I was married or had kids or, you know, it was now the time now or never really for, for dealing with this. Um, so right away I started, um, seeking professional help. Um, so I started, um, seeing a psychotherapist and, um, in the first session, he told me something that was just something that was very hard to hear, but something that made a lot of sense and something that I, kind of latched onto right away. And he said, we are more likely to repeat the things that we reject in our parents. Meaning you're more likely to do all the things that you don't like about them. <laughs> and so with my dad, um, you know, I was upset that he drank. I was upset that he got very angry. Um, I was upset that he cheated on my mom. And with my mom, I was upset that she 
um, or not upset it, but like I was worried that she was going to harm herself. Right. And so in one night I watched myself tick a lot of those boxes. I got very drunk and I got very angry and I didn't think I was going to live very long. And so um, that made it very real. Um, and not that I was ever scared that I would cheat on somebody, but I think one of my biggest fears was that I was going to get cheated on in a relationship. And so those were just very real fears that I had, but I clearly had to um, look at. And so we did a lot of work on really having me accept that um, those were not my decisions um, and that my parents were my parents and that they lived their own lives and I could not take responsibility for their actions. And so we did a lot of work, a lot of scenarios, a lot of um, just really coming to terms with that. I could not hold that, that burden um, because all I would have ever done was take that and pass that um, down the road in terms of something that I was going to do later or Maybe that's the life I would have lived and my kids would have, you know, started exhibiting those same behaviors too. So, um, yeah, it became something that um, we worked on really hard for, for those kind of first few months after, after that night in January. Um, but the other thing that I did was also I had been seeing a naturopath. Um, and so I, I went back to her, um, obviously, for, for new reasons. Um, but she put me on natural antidepressants. Um, she was very much, I bought into this journey. Um, and she just basically gave me options and recommendations. And then it was really me who was owning it. So it was never a doctor just telling me what to do and what to take to make me feel better. It was very much, um, I was invested. Um, I was, I wasn't really wanting to do pharmaceutical drugs. Um, uh, I wanted natural stuff. And so, that's why I did these natural antidepressants. We did um, took some other things for um, neurotransmitter levels in your brain. Um, and then the other thing we did was acupuncture. And I would go up on a weekly basis for acupuncture. I called them my very expensive naps um, because I basically slept for an hour um, because I wasn't doing a lot of sleeping at other points in my life. But um, as soon as she stuck a bunch of needles in me, I passed out pretty, pretty hard. Um, but those sessions, I walked away from them just like, you could just feel the stress um, uh, relaxed, you know, and it, we did them quite frequently to start with just because things kept coming back so much and um, I needed them. But eventually the weekly sessions became every other week, eventually became every three weeks, every month. So it was really cool just to see that progression um, of just, you know, how I was improving throughout those um, kind of six months, I guess, after, um, after that initial night. Um, but then it would have been in May where things kind of took another turn, um, for the worst, not for the worst, but basically I'd been working hard and I was very dedicated and committed to, to moving my life forward. Um, but I was just finding that I wasn't where I wanted to be. So it was a huge hit to my confidence. Um, and it brought me back down quite a bit. Um, so I lost a lot of progress, but it was, yeah, just quite demoralizing that 
you know, you can work so hard for so long and then feel like you've gone really nowhere. Right. And so people were, was having, um, still struggling with like the people that were really close to me. Not everyone, obviously there's a lot of, a lot of people and way too many that I could ever, um, mention to, uh, to thank, but they all know who they are. Um, but at this time I then chose to go public with it. And so I did a Facebook post of, of just how I was handling everything, you know, that, um, there was a second night that just led up to that where I also thought it was going to be the end. And so I made it public, um, that out, um, pouring of support was pretty impactful. Um, cause I think I was in a place where I didn't think people cared about me or, um, didn't think that, uh, um, people would really even notice if I wasn't there kind of thing. So to have that support, it was, it was kind of a, you know, even though it wasn't super long lasting, it was a nice little pick me up to kind of, okay, like people care about you. Um, people that, you know, I hadn't talked to really in, in years were reaching out and it was, um, quite positive. So, um, um, that was good. Um, but I still was going through a few, uh, a few, about another month, I guess, where things weren't still that great. Um, I was, like I said, I wasn't sleeping. I basically just tried to convince myself to watch like a movie or something to try to fall asleep, which didn't really do much than just make me get like three, four hours of sleep every night. Um, just managing to, I was in my, the middle of my master's program. For so what I, were you taking? did a master's of uh, higher education administration and leadership or a master of arts in higher education administration and leadership. Um, so all this happened during my final project, um, which I don't ever want to read because I'm sure it's terrible because I have no idea how I managed to complete it. Um, because I can remember a lot of vivid memories about how I was dealing with this situation, but I couldn't tell you much about the rest of my life. Um, school happened and I, I did a project. So, um, I graduated, but that was, <laughs> um, not sure how, <laughs> um, but yeah, so then there was a night in June where things got, um, uh, kind of dark again for the third time. Uh, and it was, uh, my buddy who was a cop that I called, um, in the middle of the night and he was working night shift. Um, and I'm very thankful that he was working on the night shift that, um, day because, um, I don't really know what happened if he didn't answer the phone. Um, so him answering the phone is, um, I think what's saved me, um, to be honest. Um, and yeah, again, he just talked to me that night. I don't know. I just ended up falling asleep and woke up the next day and I was kind of, that was it. I, I needed to do something. Um, I could not rely on um, whatever phone call I'd make, somebody answering on the other end. Um, there were too many things that were um, being left to chance, really. And so I wanted to ensure that that didn't happen uh, again. And so um, I became a lot more intentional at that time about every little thing I was doing uh, to make sure that I was um, moving myself forward. So I started, school was done at that point. So I started, you know, going to see friends, um, making sure that I was very, 
you know, active and not just home alone, um, visited family. Um, my grandpa was actually in the hospital. Um, so my dad's dad in foothills where my dad was after the, the, when he was in the coma. And so I toured around there, um, walked to the ICU doors, um, kind of just remembering putting myself in that position where I was nine and a half years prior, um, just to really try to just come to terms with everything and really push this, um, like push myself forward and make sure that, that, you know, we weren't going to relive any of these, um, this, these scenarios again, played ball, did a lot of fun things, but really was just very intentional about doing things for myself. Um, and making sure that I was doing well. And that's when I started at the gym. Um, I was um, never really somebody to do um, the gym, never, could never convince myself to go um, uh, to the gym on a regular basis. I couldn't uh, do workouts with, uh, with any completion i would just give up usually <laughs> and walk out the door or sit there and stretch for an hour and call it a workout um i feel you <laughs> yeah so yeah going to crossfit really helped um obviously physically there's a lot of benefits physically but i think much of it was just mental of you know starting something completing it you know when things absolutely felt horrible fighting through that not convincing yourself to quit um that really, I think, just helped, you know, something small each day, right? You talk a lot about the those little things that you can do that can build up and have a huge benefit over time. So, yeah, that was um, that was big, I think, in, in that part of my journey. And then uh, I went back to the farm, um, too, where, my, where we grew up and stayed there overnight. Um, just was the first time I'd stayed overnight down there since, I think, that weekend with my dad, right? And so it was just the time to be very intentional, do all the little things. And then, um, started to put myself out there in a more service capacity, um, getting involved with coaching, um, which did a lot for me, um, uh, in those, um, you know, that first year and yeah. And then it was just a matter of kind of living life and trying to take it day by day and, um, really focus on on the things that were important to me and the you know just not letting those negative thoughts and those negative kind of habits creep up again and um it was just really cool to see those times when and I was at um at this point still doing all my naturopath um still seeing her still taking antidepressants but we were weaning myself off at different times we'd go back on them if I ever needed them like it was a lot of I felt really in the driver's seat with, with the, the journey I was on, which was, I think, um, important. And then, yeah, things would happen and I would shrug them off. I wouldn't um, blow up and get mad, you know, break something or, you know, if something didn't go right at work or, um, yeah, whatever the situation was, it was just really um, nice to see that I was starting to handle things better. And I think that just kind of snowballed into being more and more confident again and realizing that I could do this. And um, yeah, I was just content. I was content with life. I was content with how things were going. I wasn't trying to force things or control things like I was before. 
Um, and that was pretty cool. And then um, I obviously met Desiree um, a little, I guess, a couple years later. Um, and it was really cool in, the, in that relationship um, to not see things that triggered me in other um, romantic relationships. So it was just a lot of little wins that were, were adding up. And I was pretty, yeah, exactly. I was pretty, pretty happy with all that. Um, you know, the, um, the smiles were probably pretty dumb on my face at times when I'd be like, something would happen and, you know, just laughing to myself like, Oh, old Lucas would have, you know, <laughs> reacted way differently. And it was just pretty cool to see. So, um, so yeah, that kind of, um, is what, what all happened. I mean, I've still stuck with the gym since then. Um, you know, I made that, um, commitment to that, you know, be a part of my life going forward. Um, obviously now I'm trying to just, you know, be stronger because, you know, some areas of me are pretty weak. So, um, but it's all just going towards, you know, when you're having a tough day at work or whatever, it all helps me with, with as those aspects of life too. So, um, but I think the, the biggest thing about, um, uh, this situation that I'm at now uh, is that every situation in life can be a learning moment. Um, you can take something from every situation. Um, like I said, when I, when my dad first um, cheated on my mom, like I became, I had to become a leader. I had to become confident in who I was and the decisions that I made and the, the things that I could, could do to, to protect those I cared about most. Uh, and I'll never, I never want to change that, right? Does it suck that that's how it happened? Absolutely. But I will not let anyone tell me that that didn't have an impact in who I became. Um, and, you know, in this process, I added uh, a much larger self-awareness of who I am as a person and my character and my ideals um, and values and making sure that I'm living the life that I want to live um, moving forward um, for myself and others. And I think that was um, pretty important. And I think self-reflection is a huge um, component of that. There were times like I, I've shared where things came at me and I could have read the sign and uh, listened to, to what things were telling me that I needed to fix things, but I chose not to, right? And so the, when you do self-reflect, um, it allows you to um, really take a, a strong look at what's going on and you know if there are ways to improve yourself and even if you think things are great I don't think it hurts to take a look in the mirror and make sure that um, that things are going the way you want them to go um, and then you know reaching out to others is is very important I think a lot of people um, don't for fear of stigma or um, backlash or whatever the case but um, you know, that's something that saved my life. I, I will always say that. And, um, you, um, have to know that you can't just get complacent and that you can always keep moving forward and getting better. It doesn't have to be big, but any, any little bit helps. So, um, I think those big kind of takeaways for, for me from, from the situation and things that I'm trying to apply still to this day for, you know, making sure that this process is still moving forward, but other areas of my life as well. Well, there is so much wisdom in all this. Um, I want to try to unpack little bits of it, but 
I was going to ask you the question, what would be the three biggest things, but you automatically did it. You were just like, well, um, self-awareness, yep. right? Like that knowledge that we can only control ourselves, yep. right? Those external factors, as much as they suck, like you said, in those times, there's not much you could do about those external factors, just how you viewed them and your perspective. Totally. Um, one of the, a quote that I latched onto really at this point, um, I think it can be applied to situations. It's about people, but um, it says you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Meaning I can't change you, Matt, right. but I can change that you're not the person that's around me. So I can put myself in better situations. I can put myself around those that are helping me get better. Um, but I can't spend my time worrying about how you act or how you um, are handling situations, right? Like that's not something that I can, I can change, but I can change the situations that I put myself in mm-hmm. to be those that are more impactful for the person that I want to be. Yep. The average of five, you're the average of five people you spend the most time with. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And also once you begin to have that self-awareness and develop an understanding of who you are too, you probably better have the, you have a better ability of being around those people and then impacting them. Because it's not, like you said, it's not about changing them. It's about what kind of impact are you leaving? What kind of seed are you leaving that, like you said, when you called I'm sure you had many conversations that someone said something that stuck with you, right? And they don't know how impactful that was. Um, no. We don't often don't know how impactful something we say to someone else is, whether it's correcting someone in the squat and also asking them how they're doing or saying hello to someone in the gym or on the street or doing something kind for someone else. We don't actually know. And that's what I think usually makes it so hard is we are, so caught up in wanting to see the effect right away. Mm-hmm. We don't have the patience and understanding and peace to be like, maybe I don't have to know. Yeah. No, you also true. mentioned um, growth. So I think, well, it's 2020 right now, right? Lots going on. Lots of people are struggling. Lots of things going on externally. Um, but you said it yourself, you wouldn't have changed a lot of those situations, even if they did really, really suck. Mm-hmm. You develop from them and you could use them as development or growth, or you could be in a constant state of being the victim, right? Totally. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, yeah, you can't change what happens and you have to, you have to roll with it and you have to make the best out of it. And, um, I think, I feel like I've tried to apply much of that to what we're going through right now. Is it ideal? Absolutely not. Um, do we all wish this would end tomorrow? Probably. But I mean, um, you know, in one of my, I think areas of me getting out of, um, kind of that funk I was in was really just to to do things and, and to serve the community. And uh, so I was coaching and um, doing a lot with, um, and just with cameras, matter hockey in general, I was officiating, assigning, um, you know, board, 
for the Northerly Southern Arts uh, Festival, you know, work and going to the gym and doing all that, like I was kind of running pretty thin, I think. And this really, uh, this, the, like the pandemic and the shutdown back in March really just had me reset and reevaluate um, what things were important to me a little bit more. Um, and not that I don't love any of those things that I've been doing. I love all of them and I, I want to, you know, stay doing many of them. Um, but I just don't think I want to be doing all of them. <laughs> and especially all at the same time, because um, it was making me have less time for like Des and I, um, and just to to really focus on those on um, those important things um, as well. And not that those um, areas that I serve are not important. It's just I need to make sure that I'm still doing what's right for 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 us. So yeah, um, yeah we learn and learn from all situations, and we can. Um, use them as opportunities to to pivot to adjust to take a break i mean even if this year is just a break for a year from lots of things i'm doing like i'm pretty i'm pretty okay with that yeah it's like an opportunity to take a year off you don't get that too often yeah we sometimes need something like not saying we need this but in order to have some clarity right like a lot of clarity comes through the hardships if we have the ability to look at it that way um totally and I i don't say that Meaning that I know there's a lot of people struggling in in many different ways, financially, emotionally, and I don't want to take that away from them. I'm fortunate in my um, stability with my job and um, capacity to to adjust um, my lifestyle a bit. I don't want that to to come across any differently. No, nope, I don't think it did. But you also mentioned the growth from this. But the the third one you were talking about that you would recommend to people is ask for help. This by no means means, by no means means, that makes sense? <laughs> that you have to tough it out. Mm-hmm. And especially for guys, like it's, we feel like we have to be super, super tough and can't talk about this stuff. But this is, like there's a lot of stuff going on that can't not be affecting people, right? You have to ask for the help. You have to have the courage. Mm-hmm to ask that's a lot of courage yeah yeah um for sure i mean it's it's not easy um i think inherently a lot of us want to remain proud and remain um with a brave face and you know especially guys you know we're told ever since we were born to tough it out and to um, to not cry not show weakness and those types of things. And I think, um, we need to break that down. Um, it's not, um, uh, we can't, nobody can do all this on their own. Everybody needs support in different ways yep. and, um, reaching out to people is, is huge. And, um, whether that's, you know, just, asking somebody to go for coffee or, you know, calling them up at two in the morning. Like you have to take those risks. Um, my phone stays on every night for a reason. And if somebody needs to call because, um, I will always answer the phone. Like some, I know what it did for me that I, the least I can do is keep that on, um, at all times for other people that, that want um, that. And so, yeah, never be scared of, of asking for help. 
um, whether it's, you know, to get a few things done or whether it's you need to share something big, whatever the case is, just ask. And to anybody who is on the other end where they're the one being asked, just listen. That's all yeah. you need to do. You don't need to be a trained psychologist to fix a situation. If somebody's reaching out, they likely just, they trust you enough to talk to you and just talk to them. It doesn't have to be about the situation. Like when I talked to my buddy, it was, we're talking about something completely different. Um, and so just being open to listen is, um, is huge for everyone as well. Yeah. It goes back to serving. Like you said, you coach now and you have your phone on for others. It's, we were made to contribute, right? And there's that aspect of you feel that purpose when you can help someone else too. And that's why almost all the names of the companies I work with have purpose in them. I think there's something to that word. I think there's something about this, even the story, right? Like it all you can use your story, even if it was really, really hard to help someone. There's a purpose behind the story. There's meaning behind the story. If you let it, there is um, something bigger there, right? Like we, you've touched on a lot of different aspects like faith, um, connection, mindset, fitness, um, which is four of the six aspects of the health and fly fitness flywheel we use at the gym. You have, you have to be putting time and energy into all these different things, um, in order to be this holistically fit and healthy person. Mm -hmm. If you, what does the word purpose mean to you? Because it's a hard, it's a hard work to describe or define. Yeah, it's like getting called out uh, in class again. Uh, <laughs> I can tell everyone that if you can, they can't see Lucas, he's not sleeping, so I wasn't calling him out. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, absolute purpose. Um, to me, it's really understanding um, who you are and how you want to um, better those around you. And I mean, you can apply it in so many um, instances, but um, you know, you can do a lot of things, but if you don't know, you know, why you're doing it, or um, if you don't have, it doesn't mean something to you, you know, does it have purpose? No. So like, to me, it's understanding your why, you know, every business that is a business of um, any ability, um, they know their why. Right. And I think, you know, that applies to individuals as well. Understanding, you know, why do you do what you do? You know, why do I coach? You know, I don't have to coach. I don't have a kid that plays hockey, but I choose to do it for a variety of reasons. Um, and that just all fits into, to my, my purpose of, you know, it does a lot for me. Um, and I don't mean that in a selfish way of, you know, I just want the recognition or anything like that, but it, it fulfills a lot for me in terms of how I, um, just what I get out of it, all the, the like those skills that I can use for other aspects of my life. 
um, but also the learning from from others, learning from different situations, and how um, I can then you know hopefully have some positive impact on on those around me. Right? I I coach female hockey because I think female hockey is one that gets over overlooked quite often. Um, you know, everybody puts a lot of attention towards. Um, boys hockey um, and I think it's important that female hockey gets gets the attention um, obviously I had friends that kind of connected me in that direction which is kind of how I got started but you know I think it's important to um, that those um, athletes have people who see them as more than just you know it's just not a parent right it's somebody who's all the boys teams have coaches that come from other areas um, and, you know, it's important for me when I coach that we have females on our coaching staff because I don't want them to see that they can't have um, those type of roles in the future. And so making sure that everything you do has a reason, you understand the why, you understand the, the value behind it. I think that's kind of a long way of answering your question about purpose using the example of coaching. Oh, it's, I think it's fantastic. And it sounds like you're making quite the impact. And again, as much as it was very difficult, I don't know if it sounds like you could have made as big an impact without that, those difficult times you went through. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, the, just even understanding like the community that I grew up in, um, farming community, a lot of people lived their whole lives there. Me going away from that um, changed a lot of my, my perspective. And then all those situations that happened obviously did um, as well. So I think um, it's, yeah, we can get stuck. We can get complacent. So I think it's important that, um, use all experiences, big or small, um, to, mm -hmm. to better you as an individual. Right. And so I think, I mean, there's lots of, uh, lots of things that I've learned just from moving away from that community. Right. Just, and there, that's no fault to that community. That's just the way it is. Right. Like that's when you're, when you're in a smaller community and you don't travel a lot because you're dedicated farmers and you need to look after your, your farm, 24 7 365 right like it's you don't have those opportunities i've been fortunate fortunate to have opportunities to to leave and um change my my perspective on things and then when situations like that happen you know take those um learning moments from them and apply them to to how i want to live my life love it this has been awesome i don't want to want to keep asking questions but i appreciate your time too um because we've, we've, we've talked quite a few times about complacency, purpose, like how you invest in your time. Um, we're made to move. We, we're not made to sit and just stand by. Like we're here to make a difference, right? Um, but I'm going to ask you some closing questions here because, again, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Name one thing on your bucket list. Name one thing on my bucket list? Yep. Oh, grow sick beard done. <laughs> done. Uh, well, 2020 started off with a bucket list. I'm, in this, I'm just doing this to share a shameless plug. And that was the last day. 2020 was fun, I think. Um, but it was uh, January 1st, went to the outdoor classic or the winter classic in Texas. That was pretty cool. Um, 
a lot of my bucket moment bucket list moments haven't revolved around sports in the past um going to you know, watch an nfl game do the hockey thing that's been a lot of my bucket list um but honestly i think my bucket list is um and maybe it sounds cheesy but i just want to be um living happily on an acreage um, where I'm just a happy, grumpy old man, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that's, that's always been my, um, not always, but like <laughs> since a lot of things happened in my life uh, and really kind of re-figuring out what I want. Um, I don't want to be back down on my farm, my original farm, but I do uh, love many aspects of that lifestyle. Uh, and I do want to um, kind of mimic that in some some way again. I don't think I want to run a full farm due to those limitations of not being able to do a whole lot when you have to look after cattle all the time, but um, have an acreage. And I think probably the biggest materialistic bucket list thing would be like, I want to build the, the house that I nice. am a grumpy old man in. <laughs> That's awesome. That'd be pretty cool to know. You did that yeah and if not just like renovate a lot of a house then if that's the once it's finished even just start renovating stuff right yeah away. <laughs> yeah um the goal is to help people right so if you could give one piece of wisdom that you think will impact someone in a positive way today what would that be start small um like it's there's all these great ideas all these things that um i want to do in my life that i'm sure everyone wants to wants to do um any change you want to make whether it's for the better or just because or whatever just start small um, take those initial steps figure out those pieces of of why you're doing it um, how you want to to go about it and um, just start taking action I think is is the biggest thing um, I think that's the thing that I in doing this when I had that night in January is realized that I I needed to do something but I just needed to start and there were ups and downs and um, bumps along the way but it it wouldn't have happened if I didn't just start and I think a lot of people don't do things that they want to do because they don't start because they think it's unattainable to just, um, you know, get to that end point. Uh, my buddy always says, how do you eat an elephant you know, one bite at a time? Um, I can't believe I said that in this. So he's gonna, he's gonna love it. I'm going to hate it forever. <laughs> but, um, to your buddy. Yeah. Um, he's one that helped me out a lot through all this too. So he deserves a shout out, I guess. Um, but yeah, start small. It goes, goes a long way in the end. Um, and, uh, and then I just, I do want to reiterate of like when people reach out, listen, like I can't stress that enough in any aspect of life. And actually listen, don't just exactly don't just actually, actually listen and care. Yeah. Um, we get caught up in worrying about the, the how, when we just need to worry about starting. Then mm -hmm. the who, right? The who will come. Um, that's really good. Last question. 
What is the most positively impactful thing someone has said or done for you? To some extent, I think it would be the, what that psychotherapist said of just the fact that, um, like where I have to let, let those things go about my parents um, and quit trying to, I don't know if I was hiding them out of shame or if I was scared to um, let people know about them or whatever, but I'm just letting, letting go of the things that I were not my fault and stop, you know, wearing them as if they were my fault. I think that was probably the biggest thing for this journey um, that I went on because it allowed me, um, to give me confidence early, I think, um, might've just been a timing thing, uh, more than anything, but, um, it's also, I think something that is just good advice, you know, it doesn't have to be that profound. Like you just might say the right thing to the right person at the right time. Right. That can go a way longer way than, um, anything. Right. Yeah. This might, this podcast, your story, this message might hit someone at the right time. Mm-hmm. that's why we do it share your story um do the small things consistently don't worry about how it's going to happen just start yep have self-awareness ask for help and contribute and help others there i'll figure it out simple formula Simple's not easy right no um where but what fun would uh life be if it was simple Yes. Then we'd be lacking purpose. Mm-hmm. Tied it all together. We're good to go. Lucas, where can we find you? Where can people reach out to you? Yeah. So, I mean, um, uh, on the socials, uh, the socials. Um, L- LM Hudick, Lucas Martin Hudick. So just LM Hudick. Okay. Um, it's the same handle for all of them. Not on that TikTok, um, but uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, Twitter, you'll just hear a lot of sports ranting. So you might want to steer clear of that if that's not what you want to, to find out about, but, um, yeah. Um, or I don't know, we can, um, put my email somewhere. People can always reach out that way. I mean, Facebook, everybody just uses that nowadays, right? You'll find me. That's why I sent the zoom link for this episode anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put them in the show notes as well. Lucas, I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate it. I thank you for this and um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I haven't told that story uh, in a while, but um, glad to glad to do it again. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage and vulnerability and we really, I really appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of others will too. It gives them the confidence to share their story to help others too. Absolutely. See you in the gym. I'll be there.